So this song is a, it's a prayer. Obviously, it's not just a song. It's a prayer to God. It's a prayer to see beyond our natural eyesight and to be able to see into the spiritual realm. And, you know, we know God exists and manifests in every realm, including the physical, and yet our eyes are designed to respond to photons. And uh, with our natural eyes, we don't see things that are spiritual. And yet we have this longing, this desire, God, if you're there, can I see you? You know, even even Philip and Thomas at the, the Last Supper when Jesus is trying to explain to them spiritual realities, you know, Thomas says, show us the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. And Philip straight after says, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. And Jesus stands and says, don't you even know me when I've been with you all this time? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet we have a longing, we, we have a genuine desire to be able to perceive the presence of God. And that's not a wrong desire. You know, there's an account in the Old Testament in 2 Kings and Elisha the prophet you know the prophets uh, of the Old Testament um, Peter says of them he says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit showed them things that other people couldn't see and there's this occasion with the prophet Elisha and he's got his servant who follows him around and the city that they're in gets surrounded by an enemy army. And uh, we've got verse up on screen there. Because Elisha can see something that the servant can't. The, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that rests on Elisha actually enables him to see something. And so he prays, open his eyes, Lord. Because the servant's freaking out. All he sees is a massive army set up to destroy them. And what happens? Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The Spirit of God actually enabled him to see something. that was very real and very present. And, you know, as the story unfolds, you see that wasn't just an image. Those angels, that angelic army, actually accomplished God's will in that situation. It didn't kill everybody, much as we might think that's what Old Testament, you know, everybody dies. Um, actually, what happened was that enemy army was blinded. So we, we have to learn also not to see in the literal but to see God's heart at work. So God blinds the enemy army. They get captured. And so the, uh, the human king says, well, what do I do? And uh, shall I kill them all? And Elisha says, no. 
That's, that's human thinking. Feed them and send them home. What a powerful story. But, but that principle is there for us to know that the Holy Spirit enables something, actually enables people to see into the spiritual realm. And this transfers, this is available for us. 2 Corinthians 4.18 Just as we continue in worship today, and I'm going to be doing a, a like a worship, preach, sharing mashup today, if that's okay. So, you know, feel free to sit down, stand up, get, put your hands up, get down on your knees, whatever. Because my desire is for us to develop and grow in our sensitivity to the Spirit's voice and the spiritual realm. Paul says this. He says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So there is a gaze that the Spirit gives us that allows us to see into things that are eternal and are of eternal value. How is it possible? Is it just like creative visualization? And I want to talk a bit about meditation today. Is it just imagination? And, and, you know, kind of trying to dream something up out of your imagination. You know, is that what happened to Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, which is where that song sort of finds its roots. Isaiah has a vision of God on his throne. And it undoes him. You know, was that imagination? No, I don't believe so. However, our imagination is involved because it's a gift from God to be able to see things and perceive them that we're not seeing in the natural. Like, you know, some of you friends would have seen probably a picture I put on Facebook this week of a drawing I did when I was sitting with my mum who loves artwork and I was just spending some quality time with her and I just drew a picture of an elven ship you know how did I see that well I saw it in my mind that was just human kind of flesh imagination can it be trusted can our imagination be trusted and this is an issue because the unsanctified imagination is capable of all all sorts of deceit and atrocities yeah? Just go to the movies and you'll see what the unsanctified imagination is capable of. However, just as God is capable of actually giving us a new mind, a new way of seeing the world and understanding, a new way of comprehending, He's also fully able to sanctify our imagination for his purposes so that he can actually use it 
to achieve things in the spirit that we need, you know, to, to be able to see beyond the natural eyes, we need a different sense. And so let's invite God now into that space. Is that cool? Holy Spirit, I invite you now to fill my imagination with the things of God. Lord, I submit to you anything in my imagination that's not of you. Would you cleanse my heart, my mind, my will, my imagination, God? My creative thoughts, Lord, I give you permission to be creator in that space. So let's just really open ourselves. Let's submit ourselves to Him fully. Let's be wholly given over to God's purposes. Allow our, all our thoughts, all our musings to be consecrated to Him. tells us that you are blessed if you take God's word to heart if you meditate on it day and night and the wording says the law of the Lord if you if you meditate on God's law day and night, that you'll be like a, a tree that's planted right next to the, the best river. And if you, if you go anywhere out back in Australia, you'll see where the trees grow well. They grow where the water is. There's a danger in that. If we re- read that in the sense of meaning law, we can come under something that is not healthy. It's a true promise. But God's law without the Spirit's work takes us into legalism. It actually takes us into spiritual blindness, Paul says. And so I just want to look quickly at a scripture from the Second Corinthians letter. where Paul goes to some lengths to talk about what it means to be in the new covenant. 
not in the old covenant, not the old covenant relationship with God, which was based around the law of Moses, but in a new covenant where God takes that law and by the power of his spirit changes our heart to come into alignment with it. And he says this, I'll start in verse 14, um, talking about the old covenant people of Israel. It says their minds were made dull, like unreceptive, blind. To this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. You know, that dullness is like, I, I can't see it. I don't understand. I'm separated from. And he says, you know, if, if you're looking at the law without the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit actually making it alive, that's the result. He says, yeah, there's a veil when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, and he means Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Here's the thing, the the Holy Spirit present with us is the Spirit of Christ, is the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so today, as we want to press in to actually being able to contemplate God, I feel like there are so many Christians even who don't get this, like what, how? How? How do I contemplate the Lord's glory? How do I actually gaze upon Him? Chapter 4 goes on to talk about the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus. And this is where we need to actually open ourselves fully to the Holy Spirit. Let Him actually inhabit our mind fully and our imagination fully that's his space not mine you know it's not for me to think and do and imagine what I want now it's for him and that he will open our eyes as we were talking about before Peter talks about, you know, in uh, I think it's Peter's second letter. And he says, though you have not seen him, you know him. And you love him. And are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. 
So this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the presence of your spirit here with us today actually opens us up to the unseen realm that you call us actually to draw near to you in ways that without the spirit, we simply can't. spend some time now just thinking about what it means to meditate on scripture what it means to meditate in God's presence so you know that word gets thrown around a lot in even in our world which is supposedly secular there's a lot of you know you just have to you know look through focus magazine locally or and you'll see, you know, advertisements for yoga, meditation, go down the beach, six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock. I don't know when they do it because I don't go, but because it's like, at least what time do they come down and do you? Six o'clock. There you go. What I guess. Sunrise, like greeting the sun. Um, you know, and you see meditation happening. And... Uh, you know, if you actually study into what the Eastern religions teach about meditation, ultimately it's, you know, the emptying of yourself, it's detachment, complete detachment in reality from people, from things, from the world. And if you follow it through to its logical conclusion, what they actually teach is the ultimate complete destruction of the self, the personality. It's, it's a complete, you know, I am no longer. Um, that's actually, and the emptying of the mind, you know, all of those things. That's actually almost the complete antithesis of what the Bible means by meditation what scripture teaches us and um, you know we talk about um, spiritual disciplines things that we do as a Christian believer as a follower of Jesus things that we do that help us grow in Christ and uh, you know it sounds like a bad word just because we're a nation of obstinate, willful, <laughs> selfish people who, you know, the typical, if you if you talk to an English person, they'll say we're all ex-convicts and so we have a problem with authority. Um, <laughs> and in a way, there's a level of truth to that. We all have some problem with authority in our flesh, in our natural part of us without God. Uh, but in this context, that word discipline is actually very closely related to being a disciple, a student, someone who actually is here to learn, here to grow, here to develop. And so we actually have to love and embrace 
days. Thank you, Aaron. The sun is a bit blinding at this time of day. Um, And so I want to talk about this one of meditation. Because in actual fact, what it means is to fill our minds with truth, to fill our minds and our hearts. It's not even just a mind thing. And this is why I really wanted to begin by talking about our imagination, because it is means to fully enter into what Scripture is telling us. You know, when we, when we read the Bible, our task, unless you're answering a, a university essay question, generally speaking, our task is not to do an academic analysis of the text. Our task is not, you know, to memorise it like we might learn a poem so that we can recite it off by heart later on. That's actually not our task, although memorising Scripture, knowing it is good. That's not the task. The reason. The reason is so that we would enter into and fully experience the reality of what the Bible is telling us that it actually might become real to us. So it's no good knowing about the peace of Christ as an abstract concept or even something that I've seen that someone else has. It's no good reading about it if I don't enter into the experience of knowing the peace of Christ, actually having it as a real active thing that affects my emotions, affects my thinking, affects my decision-making. And so I actually want to encourage us that in meditating on Scripture, that it's not about ticking a box for the day. I mean, reading it at all is a great first step, right? But it's not probably the end if we're just reading it and putting it down and going to work or you know having a quick read while we're having lunch and again it's good but the purpose is to enter into the reality enter into the experience and so I want to take us and and this is something that I've been studying more for myself really wanting to go further into not just reading the Bible and being faithful and regular and picking up a bit of truth, but to take time and focused attention. You know, the the words um, that in the original languages of the Bible, Hebrew and Greek in particular, there are, I think, three words, two Hebrew words, and they get translated into more or less a single Greek word for that is mostly translated meditate, although in Greek you actually don't find it much in the New Testament. And uh, Richard Foster, who's written, you know, the famous book, which I'm working through, Celebration of Discipline, he basically says, you know, the New Testament authors, they don't explain the practice of meditation because basically everybody in their day knew it. (laughs) 
They didn't have to explain it. Like, you know, it's like a lot of things. It's, why is the Bible silent on that? Well, it's, it's kind of not really a manual in that sense. But we can explore, we can dig, and we can delve. And, you know, one of the meanings of that word is to hold carefully. There's a range of meanings. To hold it, something carefully, to treasure it. Uh, it gets used to, to imagine. Yeah, actually, that is to imagine something, is to meditate upon it. And, and in that sense, it's actually often translated to plot. Or, you know, when, um, when people are plotting against, you find the word in the book of Acts, when they're plotting against um, Jesus. That's the word. They're thinking about what can I do? What can we do to get it? You know, that, that's, so it's that pondering that, what can I do? What can I do? What does this mean? You know, and, and when we do that with, with God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the engagement of the imagination. What does this mean? What is it? How does it apply to me? How does it affect me? It's, it's holding it carefully. It's studying it. It's using your imagination. And so I want to do that with a passage. Because I don't, you know, I haven't been really good at this kind of Bible reading myself. Because I, I lean into intellectual things. I lean into understanding things. But, you know, when we gave out these cards a few weeks ago and if you haven't got one I just encourage you there's hopefully some up the back there yep there's a pile and these are just to help for our day to day reading and you know I've put on there a little acronym called SOAP S-O-A-P which stands for scripture observation application and prayer there's like a very simple basic pattern for daily devotions but I want to dig deeper in this Observation. That's a really important step. If I go from scripture and I read through it and then I skip straight to application, I'm probably not going to get the best application if I haven't stopped and thought about something, if I haven't pondered it for a moment, if I haven't tried to actually enter in to the story that I'm reading or or if I go... from scripture straight to prayer and I miss application well am I expecting to change am I looking for what does this mean for me today here now what is God saying to me so anyway so I'm trying to get better at this so we're going to read through John chapter 13 the first part if that's okay I might just put my guitar down because it'll get heavy was just before the Passover festival. You can close your eyes if you want. And I, I just encourage you to let your imagination draw the scene and see yourself in the scene. Like, where am I in it? Like, let think about what the Spirit is showing you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you as I read. 
It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So here we have the disciples gathered around the table. Jesus is very somber. This is not a particularly happy occasion. It's heavy. But he's full of love. You can see it in his eyes as he looks up and down the table. Looks at the bunch of guys that have been walking with him for a few years now. Down the end of the table, there's Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And he's not really looking at Jesus. He's got his face down in his bowl. Kind of in his own thoughts, not really taking part in what's going on. Jesus sees him down there and loves even him. He knows what's going on. He can see it all over Judas. He knows he's just about to go and betray him, hand him over to be crucified. But Jesus knows who he is. He knows what he's about. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here we are, we're sitting around the table and it's kind of a pause as Jesus is looking around and when he gets up, he does something odd. It's like we're all lying there at our couches that you know, our feet away from the table, our, our heads and at the, at the end closer to the table. Jesus is standing up. What's he doing? That's, that's not part of the normal ceremony here. Uh, Jesus, why are you getting undressed? People looking around, looking at each other. What's, what's going on? Why is he getting water? Didn't we already wash our feet when we came in? Why are you washing my feet? What's going on, Lord? What's this about? 
came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? My feet? Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, You don't realize now what I'm doing. Later you will understand. No, this is wrong, says Peter. You'll never wash my feet. That's, that's not right. That's upside down. But Jesus says, he answers him, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. I need to wash you, Peter. Then, Lord, if that's the way it is, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash all of me. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that. Like, what's Jesus saying? Well... I think it's simply this. Peter had been baptized by Jesus already. You know, the disciples, it's not explicitly said anywhere in the Gospels that the disciples got baptized. And yet we know John was baptizing. Several of Jesus' disciples had come from John. Clearly they'd been baptized by John. But then later on, they are actually baptizing in Jesus' name. What does that mean? This is in John's gospel. His disciples are baptizing in his name. Clearly all of them had gone through that process just as Jesus had said, it's fitting that even I get baptized to fulfill all righteousness. I'm the archetype of all of you coming to God with a pure heart. And so he set the way. So he's saying, Peter, you've been baptized. You've been washed by God. You've been clean. You are clean. But there's an ongoing process for each one of us. And Jesus paints that picture as having our feet washed. Where am I right now? Do I identify with Peter who's like, no Lord, I'm can't wash my feet. I'm too dirty. It's not right. You're God. I don't deserve this. Is that my posture? Do I hold God at arm's length because he's God and I'm me and why would he be even interested? Maybe sometimes we even feel like Judas skulking down the other end of the table. You know, I'm pretty sure the way the narrative is, Jesus washed Judas' feet. How do I feel about that? Well, that's not fair, Jesus. Why did you even do that? 
what's the point of that? I don't get that. Why would you wash that person? Maybe identify like that, looking down my nose at someone else at the table thinking, well, I don't know why Jesus is washing your feet. You don't deserve it. Maybe it's time to just humble myself and say, well, okay, Lord. Show me what it means to love and to serve. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what is my observation? What is your observation? What is your application? for me to wash the feet of everyone you've put me at this table with, Jesus. Obviously, it's more than just washing feet in a literal sense. Show me, Lord, what it means for me to take that principle to love like you loved what it means to emulate you Jesus in this world here and now plates look like, the bowls, the cup, all of that is part of entering in, you know, I'm talking earlier about the scene with Elisha and his servant in a city surrounded by an army, it's like it's worth taking a moment to say, what was that like, what did that feel like, to be surrounded by an enemy army? Read the words of God, the Word of God, 
words to us, I think, embedded in the narrative. If we enter in and we learn how to enter in, you know, whether it's Paul telling us we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, do we just read over that verse and keep going? Or do we take a moment and go, whoa. I'm actually sat down in Christ. That means I'm at the right hand of Father God, the Almighty. And in Christ, I'm surrounded by Him, by the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm above, I'm in the heavenlies. When I look at the world from that position, I see disease, conflict, poverty, injustice, all these things. God, what is your heart? How does your incomparably great power for us who believe Operate through me. There are so many, so many. Every time we read scripture, I just invite you as I'm on this journey of learning to hold and treasure and meditate upon us, you know, to have God's word in my mouth, in my mind, in my thoughts, in my imagination, in my imagining. But in that place, we, we learn to gaze upon Christ, upon the face of Christ, to see the glory of Christ and be transformed. Yeah?